Good morning, elect exiles. Uh, I greet you as elect exiles because that's how Peter opens uh, this letter, uh, this general letter to uh, a number of churches. I, I hope that's at least something, the, the, maybe the, the main thing we'll all take away if you're with us weekly, that that uh, reference stands out as to who we are, God's elect exiles. Uh, if you'll actually just look at the, the verse before what Amanda just read. Verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Last week, this is where we ended and remind us where we were. We're reflecting upon the, the truth. The Lord is good. The, the, the Lord has given us such a clear word. Such a sure salvation. The, 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 the Son has come to purchase us with His own blood. It's important here that if we've tasted, just the, 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 the smallest taste of His goodness, it, it changes our appetite. It, it changes the appetite away from sin and, and for what is, what is good from God. If, if we've tasted that the Lord is good, we, we have a whole new kind of hunger and thirst for God and His righteousness. We, we, we want to go before Him and, and feast by beholding His glory and, and hearing His word and rejoicing all the more in the great salvation He's given us. Well, we're, we're turning to a whole different metaphor we're turning from be like babes who desire the spiritual word, tasting the Lord is good, the, 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 the simile there, the, the analogy being a, a babe who, who's, who's desiring and hungering for, for the goodness of God to, well, a building metaphor. Stones built up on the living stone. But it's, it's about worship. We're, we're, we're moving in the same direction, even though the, 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 the picture is so very different. We're, we're going from a, a buffet to a building. But if you've tasted the Lord is good, oh, the, you come to him, and you're built up to know him in worship. So this morning, we're, we're looking at Jesus, who is the Lord who is good, but primarily we're looking at him in now, the, the living stone. Uh, the message this morning, the call is to come to Jesus to be built up so that he can lead us in true worship. The call is to come to Jesus and to be built up so that he can lead us in true worship. There's three points. Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. And, and then the, the, the next two points are, are really Two, two options, two, two, two responses. We either come to be built up in him or we reject him. We come to be built up, we'll be point two, point three, or we reject him and stumble. First, let's look, who is it we're coming to? Who, who is this good Lord? Well, Peter Again, changes direction with a picture he paints, but it's, it's continuing on with the same thought. Jesus is the living stone. Uh, if you're, you're new with us, we've been walking through Peter. And, and if you look there, we, he's called us the elect exiles. That's, that's a declaration we can see for all churches at all times. And from 3 to 12, that really was a summary of the great salvation that God has promised, that God has provided, and Jesus at the center of it. The Father has caused us to be born again. There, 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 there's a foretelling of Christ's suffering and then the subsequent glory in verses, uh, verse 11. There's a promised grace still to come when Christ returns in verse 13. Verse 19, we see we've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. In verse 25, the, the good news we've heard, it's, it's all about Jesus. And, well, chapter 2, verse 3, the, the Lord is good. Now, it's the Lord who we come to who is a living stone. 
4 to 8 really is controlled by that declaration. Jesus is the living stone that all who believe come to. And, and, and notice uh, Peter is building this upon Isaiah 28 and Psalm 18 that we read earlier in Isaiah 8. The, the, it's promised. It's been foretold. He's even borrowing language there from Isaiah 28. You come to him, and, and that, that declaration, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Church, there, there's many different pictures of what the church is. We're usually more familiar with the language of it's a, a body. Christ is the head and we're the many members. Here, here it's, he's the cornerstone and we're the living stones being built up into a, a building, into a, into a household, a spiritual house, a, a temple. In, in order for us to understand who we are as members, we have to understand who he is as the head. In order for us to understand who we are as the living stones together being built up into the temple, we have to first understand who he is as the cornerstone or hear this unique declaration, the living stone. This is the most significant point here. Who is Jesus? Because who he is determines who we are. If you're a believer, you want to know who you've come to. Who, who is it you're depending upon? Who is it you're, you're trusting? And, and who is it that, that's defining your life? But I'll say, if, if you're not a believer this morning, I'm, we're so thankful you're here. Because this is an opportunity for you to know who is it you're rejecting. I say, that's extremely important. Who, who is it you're not believing in? Who, who is it that's claimed to be God your creator who is it that's come and claimed to die on the cross for your sin? Who is it that the church has testified for, for 2,000 years was risen again so that we could believe in him and be forgiven and know God and worship him? I, I, I hope that if you're rejecting him, you'll at least see more clearly, not, not some idea of Jesus that had been presented by, by, by in, in a false way, but that Jesus who, who says, I'm, I'm God, I've come near to you so you can come near to God. If you're a believer, I hope you learn what it means to draw nearer to God. The, the significant declaration, Jesus is the living stone. And again, that, that's unique. He's clearly connecting Jesus, the living stone, with Jesus, the cornerstone in Psalm 18, and the stone uh, laid in Zion in Isaiah 28. Cornerstone is, is uh, simple as something from just basic architecture. Or, or, or building. The cornerstone is the most important part of the most important uh, part of the building, right? The, the foundation is, is the most significant part of the structure. Without a foundation, the, the structure falls. Well, the, the cornerstone is the first building block. Uh, when I was building a wall, the, the first rock down had to be uh, significant. It had to be level. It had to, to make sure it was sturdy so that every other block that's built around it and upon it is also plumb. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a builder by trade or, or by skill. So, so when I was laying a, a, a wall, I had to rebuild it like three times because the cornerstone had to be perfect. Because if it was just a little bit off, after like eight stones, you could see the things like going up in the air. That's why the cornerstone is so important. The, the cornerstone sets the plumb line. The, the, the resting foundation is set by the cornerstone. What well, Jesus is that first stone that, that determines the, the strength of the temple, the, the, the building being built up. But here, Jesus is called the living stone, and that's kind of unusual. Only time Jesus is referred to as a living stone. Stones don't have life. There's no breath or blood in a stone. Why, why a living stone? One of the, the key declarations is that we can see in chapter 1, verse 3, God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe he's a living stone because he's the resurrected Savior. He, he, he is the source of life. He is life himself. He is resurrected life. And the church is being built up as this spiritual living house. 
this new kind of temple, not like a building structure, but, but upon the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. So he's, 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 he's the living stone. We've come to him, and, well, as the living stone, that contrast Peter gives us is so important to understand what Peter's doing in the whole letter. The living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. John's gospel opens with that prologue, that grand declaration. It's theologically rich. John 1, 1 to 18. And in that prologue, as he's setting the the tone, he's already setting the terms for the entire gospel he's going to write. He says of the word of God who became flesh, he came to his own, but they did not receive him. His own people plotted to destroy him. We, we heard earlier, James read from Luke 20, and, and that picture is the gospel. The, the father sent his son to his own people, thinking surely they'll listen to him. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. But they, they killed him. Acts 4 actually references that cornerstone passage. Jesus is referred to as that cornerstone that's rejected by men. Jesus, the one who came to give life to dead sinners, was rejected by the men he came to save. Now, the contrast of but in the sight of God chosen, that, that, that we, we need to see these two things together. But the living stone, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, this is not in any way saying that God looked down on Jesus and said, now that's a good guy. I think I'll make him the cornerstone. No, no, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, is eternal with the Father. He he has existed for all eternity as the the perfect Son. The the chosenness is is that he is the, the, the beloved Son in whom we are chosen. You see, I I call you elect exiles. That word elect is the same word for chosen here. Why our translators don't use the same English word? We'll take it up with them. I don't know. But it's the same word. He's chosen and you're chosen. He's the elect and you're the elected ones in Christ. It's important there that we see that he has been forever the the, the beloved son of God and, and, and the chosen one. To bring salvation, he's precious in God's sight. And, and that, that contrast, but rejected. Church, it's important that we see Christ our cornerstone, our forerunner. We, we follow him. We're chosen and elect in him. There's an assurance. And, and there's also an assurance that just as he was rejected by men, we will be rejected by men. There should be a surprise there. The the cornerstone, precious and chosen. We have been beloved. We are are loved and and, and elect only in Christ. He is the living stone in which we're being built upon and we're we're coming to. Well, if we're coming to him to live with him and to be like him, we're going to be rejected like him as well. Jesus, the living stone, chosen and precious. Now, it's, 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 it's quite amazing to think about what the gospel means here. The God who created all things with goodness and order. He created us with a, a righteousness and a wisdom that, that he gave to us, and yet then we rejected him. We refused to obey his, his simple commands, his good commands. And what we've done after uh, rejecting his good commands is we brought our own chaos and disorder this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Right? We all feel that. Even if you're not a believer this morning, you, you can feel this world is not the way it's supposed to be. The chaos, the, the danger, the, the fear, the suffering. Well, Christian, we need to understand the assurance we have is that we're chosen in Christ. And, and, and as we suffer, we suffer for Christ. As, as he was rejected, we're rejected. 
So it shouldn't be a surprise. There's, a, there's actually a great comfort in participating in that. We come to Jesus by faith and build our lives upon him. Now, I want you to see how this is going to play out for the rest of what we see later in Peter. Christ's example and leadership is supposed to give us a great comfort. In chapter 2, verse 21, when masters are cruel and cause suffering, we're supposed to know Christ is our example. In chapter 3, verse 18, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, as Christ did, you're, you're to rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 1, Christ suffered, and so arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Chapter 4, verse 13, rejoice if you share in the suffering of Christ. His rejection is, in a strange way, a comfort for those who feel the full pressures of all the rejection as, as exiles. Now, again, if you're with us and you're a Christian, we're so thankful you're here. If you're not believing in him, I want you to see the wonderful invitation of verse 4. You can come to Jesus. Jesus invites all sinners. He came to seek and to save sinners. It, 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 it is as clear as simply seeing, I see the, the world around me and the, the chaos. It's what we call sin and disorder as, as Christians from God's word. We, we, we even can look inside and see that same kind of sin that frustrates us out there is, is in here. I think every sense so, so hopefully capture that, that as much as we try to change ourselves, we, we actually can't fix this thing inside. That's when we call out to God, who says, I, I've come to become like you in every way. I've come to die on the cross so that you can be forgiven for the sin that weighs so heavily on you, the, the conviction of what you've done against God and to others. I've come so that you can be healed inside, not sin removed, but, but healing so that we can now have a, an understanding of what it means to, to know God and, and his peace. This is the beauty of coming to Jesus. There's no labyrinth. There's no maze. There's no riddle. There, there, there's, there's not some great effort or, or obstacle course. You see your sin. And how helpless you are with that sin. And you see Christ who died to heal you of that sin. And you believe in him. There is no preparation of making yourself better to come to Jesus. The only reason you come to Jesus is that you realize you can't. You can't heal your own heart. But he can forgive you, heal you, and restore you. Believer, you've tasted the Lord is good, so you come to him. The, the living stone, the new source of life, the new source of a, of a renewal, of regeneration. The, the beauty of the gospel is you come to Jesus filthy in sin so that you can put that sin off. Again, you don't come to Jesus after you've cleaned yourself up. No, you come to Jesus so he... He cleanses you. He, he washes you. We come to Jesus with the hope that we're learning how to deny ourselves of those sinful temptations. We're learning how to carry our cross, the, the suffering of, of being in exile, of suffering, of, of feeling the rejection. So I follow him. Notice it's we come to him to be built up be changed, to be formed. That, that's what we just celebrated in baptism. She's come as a sinner to be washed. Just as Jesus risen again, she has a new life now, and there's a commitment to walk anew in the way of Christ. We come out of sin to be built up. Christ the living stone is who we believe, and we come to him to be built up. This is our second point. Come to Jesus to be built up. Verse 5 assumes a number of things. One, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Two, chapter 2, verse 2, 
You, you long for that spiritual milk, that, that spiritual word, that, that word of the Lord that remains forever that brings healing and, and help and forgiveness. It assumes that in chapter 1, verse 22, that you're, you're purifying your souls by obedience to the word. It assumes, chapter 1, verse 19, that you've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. It assumes you're elect exile. Elect exile, strangers in this world, that doesn't mean you're alone. Being an elect exile is, is a reference to the church gathered. We'll get into this more next week, but elect exiles, that, that's, that's God's little heavenly embassies all over this creation. As God's united believers gathering to be built up together as, as embassies all over this creation to help other believers built up, be built up in the faith. To invite those who don't know Jesus yet to come to him to be built up in the faith. Verse 5. We are to be like living stones who are being built up. The, the language here is very uh, significant. You yourselves. There's a significant focus on the plural. So it, it could be y'all fellers or use guys. Right? So, so however you want to add on to how that would be understood, it's, there's, a, there's a you all together are like living stones. You have no life in yourself. You are living, you're like a living stone because the living stone has given you his life. You're being built upon him and his life. You're not a living stone as if you're a rock or an island. You're only a living stone if you're being built up on Christ, dependent upon him, and with other believers, depending on them and being dependable. The word built up is the same word we get edification from to strengthen, to establish, to train, to teach. We, we grow up in salvation. That's from chapter 2, verse 3. Again, that's, a, that's a kind of an organic human uh, picture. But, but here it's the stones are being built up together to be a, a spiritual house. Now, this is not going to build each other up in confidence in yourselves. This is not some kind of David Groggins or, or Tony Robbins speech. Like, just believe in yourself. Dig down deeper and do it. No, this is, Jesus is risen. This is an assurance. God's own son purchased you with his blood. This is being built up in confidence that he who promised salvation has accomplished it. The living stone you can trust. The living stone has the power to give life and to heal. Now, the funny thing about the verb, though, is it's passive. Who's doing the building? We know if the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders plot in vain. Or Jesus says, I will build my church, Matthew 16. The Spirit builds up the spiritual house, very similar language in Ephesians chapter 2. Believers are told to build each other up. But it's kind of interesting, that, that passive, it's, it's God, the God who foreknew you, the Holy Spirit who sanctified you, the, the Son who's ransomed you with his own blood. Specifically, I, I believe that the primary focus of who's doing the building is Jesus, the living stone. It's his power of the resurrected life that, that helps us be built up. And that is for us ourselves in maturity and as a church in unity and maturity. The power here is that, well, it's a spiritual house. The Holy Spirit is bringing us together and strengthening us. It's on the living stone alone. The Holy Spirit will build us up and strengthen us. Notice it's you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up, being edified, being trained and molded and formed and, and strengthened. We're being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood. Now, that's just straightforward new temple language. Old Testament Israel, the temple was a physical building. Dead stones, if you will. There, there, there was, a, was a building where the, the, the whole community was built around this, this religious center where people would bring sacrifices and then priests would go in and present those sacrifices. This was the center of all of what Israel was meant to be as a nation and as a priesthood and as a people. Here, it's a new kind of temple because it doesn't have a building. It's, it's the people who are the temple. It's, it's the people who are in the, who represent the very presence of God and who God is present with. You see, there's, there's the priest and the sacrifice language. You see, the old temple is obsolete. When else Christ said it is finished and the curtain was torn in two. Now there's a new kind of worship. Peter here is, is, a, is building upon what Christ has done on the cross, and there's a new kind of worship, and we're supposed to be a new kind of people. Every priest in the Old Covenant would come before God. And, and, and if you're a priest in the temple, there are very specific rules. God was very clear because it's, it's a holy space. And what they would be terrified of is doing something that would be unacceptable. There's something about that holy space coming before God that that made them tremble with with great reverence. Something I'm concerned about is in the new covenant with with the the new change that is not a a physical structure, we're the temple, We, we have love and grace revealed in such a dynamic way. It's, it's almost as if love and grace make us less reverent of the holy God when it should have the exact opposite effect. Because love and grace bring us closer to see his glory and his holiness. This is supposed to be a, an incredible passage about how we can go before God, but it, it cannot lose the reverence. That we have no business before that God in our sin. Thanks be to God who forgave us. Thanks be to God who gave us new life. Thanks be to God who invites us back. Now, we're a church supposed to be a, a temple built up to gather on the living stone. But notice we're called to be a holy priesthood. That's new, but not brand new. Right, the Old Testament had a priesthood. But this is a new kind of priesthood. See, the Old Testament Israel, well, there was 12 tribes. Only one of those tribes served as priest. And not everybody in that tribe got to serve as a priest. Only the men, and only some of the men, got to serve as a priest. Notice, who serves as a priest in the New Covenant? Anyone who comes to him. In the Old Covenant, we would all come and we would have to give our sacrifices over to who was a priest, and that priest would then take them forward. If, if you're a priest, if you believe in Jesus, you are a holy priest. You've been set aside to function as a priest, someone who now represents God to others and, and others to God. You're, you're, we're praying for each other. We're caring for each other. There's a, a high, reverent act of worship assumed here by being called a priest. So one of the many things that's new about the new covenant, no one is more distant in worship because of a position. All are called to be holy priests because we all get to go to God in the same name of the Son who's at the right hand of the Father. There's something beautiful about this picture that we're priest being built up as a spiritual house. So far, we've seen Jesus as the living stone. We're a spiritual house, a a new temple made up of all the living stones. That's other believers. We're a holy priest. That is all of us. And as priests, we, we come to all draw nearer to God, closer to God. 
Now, so far, everything we've said is something that happens to us, but now we get to talk about what we do. Look at the end of verse 5. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A, a, a priest serves. A priest isn't some position that you just sit and twiddle your thumbs. A priest is someone who's active. Two, two key words that really define a priest in the Old Testament. They, they work and they keep. They, they protect the holy things of God. They, they go on behalf of others. They teach others. We're all priests who are supposed to be fully committed to this kind of work. It's a spiritual sacrifice. There's a a reasonable way in which we're coming to give to God who has given us his own son. I want to really linger there on that word acceptable. Because as priests, we should all want to make sure we're aware of what's unacceptable and what is acceptable. Just for a moment, let's, let's just praise God that we no longer have to worship with a lot of blood everywhere. Right? There's been a once-for-all sacrifice because Christ died once and for all to take away sin. It's a different kind of worship now because Christ came as the perfect Lamb of God who took away sin from all who believe in Him. What is acceptable and what's not acceptable? You could go to Genesis 4 and see the very first sacrifice. Abel brought first fruits. Cain just bought some. God did not accept Cain's offering. It seems Cain did not think God was worthy of his first fruits. It seems Cain just kind of came casually as if this was something to do without reverence. That was unacceptable. We can just go right back to 1 Peter and we can see really clearly something I think Peter says is unacceptable. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. On Wednesday night, there's a new series on sins of the tongue, sins sins of, of, of speech. Consider how important our words are. Consider, consider uh, the, the positive in, in chapter 2. In, in verse 9, pastor we'll look at next week. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is an acceptable sacrifice. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our our words are one of the most significant ways in which we give spiritual sacrifices. How are we using our words? Is it to build up or to tear down? Is it to confess our sin or is it to confess somebody else's sin? A.K.A. slander. Is it to to declare a word of forgiveness or to, to make sure somebody feels how guilty they should be? Church, our, our words matter. Our, our words are how we declare the, the excellencies of he who is glorious and full of grace. Our words are how we make him known to, to the world, to the, to, 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 the, to the heavens, to each other. How great his salvation is. It's, it's a real privilege to be able to preach and teach to you, church. Now, I want you to understand what I, I always hope is happening in this moment. That you be built up. Edification. Because what I hope you see is a, a right way to posture yourselves under the word of God. A, a reverence for his words. I hope what happens is there's a, a pace set for the kinds of things we should be saying to one another. That God has spoken and, and I'm hoping to simply help you learn how to better speak the words of God. It isn't just become a sponge, it's to be squeezed out. So the words of God that we all receive together, that we all are under together, that, that, that we're, we're setting a pace so that we're all speaking these words together. Let me just say, the, the words before and after the service, 
That's some of the most important spiritual offerings you can give. The, the words where we sang to one another, that was an acceptable spiritual sacrifice. I just want to focus in, there's so many ways we can think about the sacrifice, but the, the words we use, are we building up? Are we making the excellencies of Christ known? Are we really, really want to make sure everyone understands our opinions are so important? Here, it's, what is an acceptable sacrifice? Notice something else in this passage, the end of five. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The only way you can come to God is through Jesus Christ. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. The only way you can be saved is by believing in Jesus who alone brings salvation. The Father gives you new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Father grants forgiveness through the death on the cross of Christ. And now we go back to God because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And in his name, we can come to God. We can come into the very presence of God and we can worship him as living stones built upon that living stone. Him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, giving sacrifices in his name that are uh, acceptable according to him. Church, I, I really want us to think about this priest language. We are a new kind of temple. If we have believed in Jesus, that's, that's the, the main focus there of the quote from Isaiah. Those who believe in that stone, that chosen and precious stone, that's where Peter got the language from in verse 4. You won't be put to shame. There, there's, there's a way in which We've got to be warned by the Old Testament prophets. There's a way in which we should learn from, from some serious errors. Because some of the priests in the Old Testament were condemned because they robbed God of his glory by, by, by rejecting God's instruction. You, you see this specifically in a number of places, but you can, you can go later and look at Ezekiel 34. Where God sees the priests take the sacrifices that the people of Israel were giving to them, trusting them to then give to God and worship. And what those priests were doing was taking it for themselves. And God says, I will demand this of you, priest. I will demand this of you. You will suffer a judgment. For not taking seriously the holy things of God. Holy priest, that's a warning for all of us. Are we taking all of God's good things? All of things that, that God has expected of us. And are, are, we, are, we, are we robbing God of his glory by, by being selfish rather than being Christ honoring? Part of that judgment, Ezekiel 34, is one of the sweetest things. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to demand those priests give an answer and they will be judged. And then he says, I, I will come and I will be your shepherd. I will come and I will lead my people into worship. Oh, friends, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I have come to lead you into true worship by giving you all that you need. Again, the, the challenge I want to think about Grace does not take away the holiness of God and it should not lessen our reverence of God. Grace should help us see all the more how worthy the holy God is of our worship because he has bought us with the precious blood of Christ. This is the high calling holy priest of God. Well, the third point begins there halfway through verse 7. Notice that the, from verse 28, Peter says, so honor is for you who believe. Uh, if you believe in, in Jesus, you're chosen, and yes, you're rejected by the world, but you are not going to be put to shame. You will have an honor received from Christ in that final day, but halfway through verse 7, he makes another contrast. He, he makes a significant turn that then leads through verse 8. But for those who do not believe, 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He's clearly applying verse 7 from Isaiah 28. That The whole goal is he wants to lift up the weary. Those who feel the full weight of being in exile, maybe there's, there's temptation going on, there's persecution going on, they, they feel the pressure outside and they need to hear that promise, church. Don't grow weary. You will not be put to shame in the sight of God. You, you, you will be honored by Christ, with, with, with the honor of Christ. It, it's important that we see here that there's only two ways to live, and it's presented pretty clearly in verse 7. There's either a belief in Jesus, or you don't believe in Jesus. Now, there's different ways you can live out your life after you don't believe in Jesus, but in, 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 in the Word of God, as God has declared, there's only two ways to live. You're either living in Christ, being built upon the living stone, or you're living against Christ, rejecting Him, and, and, and disbelief. The, the two Old Testament quotes here are important, and I, I want to I'll be very clear, God's plan of salvation has been predetermined. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 11. The Holy Spirit was speaking through the Old Testament prophets as to who the Christ would be and when he would suffer. The suffering of Christ was planned. The suffering of Christ was, was, was the expectation of Jesus, of the Son of God, when he came to be like us. I want us to hold that out there because there's something we're going to have to wrestle with here. God is sovereign enough over sin that he brought about the suffering expected and planned for his son without being the cause or responsible for that sin. All right, that, that, that's heady, but that's a significant thing. God is sovereign over the sin that brought about the suffering planned and promised for his son. But God cannot be the author of sin because the Lord is good. He's sovereign over it, but he cannot be the author of it because he is good. I, I give you that category because we got to really wrestle with this last statement. They, that is those who do not believe and those who reject, they stumble because they disobey his word. So you see there the human responsibility. The, the, the stumbling is because they've rejected God's word, they've refused God's word. There is a clear human responsibility into why they are stumbling over the truth of Jesus Christ, who they could put their lives upon, or they're going to stumble and be judged for in destruction. As they were destined to do. That, that, that's where it gets a little difficult. We saw back in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, that it's God who elects. There, there, there's a, there's a, 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 an initiating, powerful way in which God calls his people to himself. And, and that's challenging us because we like to embrace this thing we call free will that makes us think we've got some control over our lives. This passage presents something more challenging than even that. But it, it, it's important to understand what's happening here. The God who promised his son would suffer, he's sovereign over that suffering, but he's not the author of that suffering. The church has to understand that the suffering and rejecting they are going to go through is under God's sovereignty while not being from God as if he's the author. We have to have a right understanding of of evil, of suffering, of of wrong. Now, I'm going to go through a few examples to hopefully give us some categories for this. Again, this is heady. I expect lots of fun conversations after the service. Amongst yourselves, not with me. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you everything I got. <laughs> we can think of Pharaoh. God warned Pharaoh over and over again, let my people go. And the scripture is very clear. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. His heart was hardened. And the Lord hardened his heart. Pharaoh, the, the mighty king, that the mighty ruler of Egypt held God's people captive. And let me just tell you what's going on there. God's just toying with them. 
as a man who's abused his child, Israel. God is toying with him to show Israel, you fear no one but me. I'm the one God who's sovereign. That's the lesson from that. Pharaoh did not have his own choice to do whatever he wanted to do. God was sovereign. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. That that at least means he pulled away the grace and gave him over to his own sin. Pharaoh is not some innocent guy here. Pharaoh's the one choosing to commit his own sin. But but the same level we have to see in, in that episode, which is so powerful. God is showing the people of God. Whoever's attacking you, they're in my hand. The suffering is not for me, if you're suffering for righteousness' sake. The suffering is for me and for my glory, and there's a reward. But, but that suffering, it, it's not something I'm, I'm distant from. It's not something I'm away from. It's not something I have no control over. I am with you, and I am for you. Fast forward to Jesus himself. On trial... Let's even go back one more. I think man, I know we're, at, we're, we're getting past noon, but stay with me. Judas, one of the 12, was with Jesus. Jesus in his prayer prayed, he's the son of destruction. He, he, it, was, it was prophesied. It was told in the Old Testament. He would, he would forsake, he would betray the Messiah for, for, for silver coins. It was already planned, but yet... Jesus isn't, isn't the cause of Judas' betrayal. Judas is responsible for it. But, but it happened just as God said. There's a wonderful mystery there to, to embrace by faith. But the comfort there is even those who betrayed his own son, God is sovereign over that kind of rejection to bring about his perfect plan. And then when Jesus goes before Pilate, the governor says, why aren't you talking to me? You know that I have the power to give you. And Jesus says, only because my father gave it to you. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign power. But that doesn't mean that it all represents his goodness. Because there's evil people who will do evil things. God is sovereign over the things. And there's a a wonderful comfort here that those who who have stumbled, they're doing it out of their own disobedience, but it's also according to God's own plan. And I want to especially focus on the rulers who are doing this. God has has stirred them up sometimes to bring about his plan. You see, the suffering of Christ wasn't plan B, C, D, or E. There's there's never been any other plan other than God would send his own son to die for us. That has always been the plan. And when we suffer, we have to understand we get to suffer with Christ and for Christ. We just have to trust that is the plan. If you want to wrestle more with this God's sovereignty and human responsibility, Look no further than the very first Christian sermon ever preached. Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's worthy of some meditation. Let's pull back. The question isn't am I elect or not question is this do I see my sin and do I see Jesus as my only savior that's it do I see my sin and do I see Jesus as my only savior that, 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 if you're not a believer that, that's what I want you to wrestle with this morning you can go back what is the will of God what is the, the election what is, what? no no it's Is there another answer for your sin other than Christ dying to forgive you? Is there another answer for the death you will suffer other than Christ being raised to the dead? Let's keep the simplicity there. The the, the focus of, of, of all the sovereignty of God is for those who are suffering wrong. The focus for the unbeliever today is what will Jesus do? What will God do with your sin? If you do not believe in Jesus, and the Bible's answer is very clear, it's 
It's wrath and judgment. Christian, we, we, we do need to, we, we need to meditate upon being elect exiles. Chosen and precious in Christ. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Set, forth, set apart to be the holy priest. To, to be holy as God is holy. To, to go up and to worship. To follow him the way, the truth, the life. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Do you have an appetite for feasting? For, for, for beholding the glory and goodness of God? If it's so, the instruction, be built up to be the, the temple on, on Christ, the living stone. Be, be built up as a holy priest to, to know him, to make him known. And the beauty of it is you get to do so because it's through the blood of Christ you've been forgiven, and it's being built up on Christ that we get to go before the Father in worship. Praise God, we get to come to the Lord who is good. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that as we meditated upon for first peter previously lord that the word of the lord remains forever your truth is our foundation your ways are also higher than our ways and we 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 thank you that you help us to to know you your goodness your power your grace your holiness we pray that we would know how to be faithful as priests to, to build one another up, to, to make that gospel known and that we get to do so by the very power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we leave wanting to make those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable because we see how precious the gift you've given to us is in Jesus Christ, our living stone. In his name we pray. Amen.